I'm so glad you've joined us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. And you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Coming up in a few minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, there's a simple clerical error we all make that can lead to a lot of heartache. I'm going to tell you what to look out for as you're on your phone or on a laptop. And coming up yet later, a new survey about how many of us want to be entrepreneurs, but there's something that keeps you from getting out there and starting your own thing. I'm going to tell you what my assignments are for you. If you've always daydreamed of being an entrepreneur, what things you've got to get in place before you get out there and make it happen. I get so many more questions than I ever did related to investing. And I don't do an investment show. That's not my area that I'm really focused on. But so many of us now are left to our own devices to save for our future. And it puts me in a position where I get a lot of basic investment questions that I answer to the best of my ability and then provide additional tips how you can potentially get more information. Well, I've been thinking this through when I'll be asked, where should I go to learn more? Where should I go to learn about how investing works? And I finally hit upon what I feel is a good place for you to go educate yourself. And it's a website called HumbleDollar.com. It is the brainchild of a guy who's been on the air with me in the past. And he is a brilliant writer and that the most brilliant writers write in the clearest way. His name is Jonathan Clements. He's a British guy who's lived in America a long time, and he forever was the personal finance columnist of the Wall Street Journal. I don't remember when he left the journal, written a lot of books, but a particular interest is his guide where he talks through the different phases of where money fits in your life, and in the simplest way helps you see your way clear to how you handle those things in your life. And it's so well organized and so simple that I think if you are confused, that you really will have the step-by-step you're looking for because each topic area, he does step number one, step number two, step number three, and makes it really logical for you. Now, the reason I like HumbleDollar.com and Jonathan Clement so much is he and I were like separated at birth and how we feel about strategies about how you should handle your money. He writes a newsletter called the Humble Dollar Newsletter, and his most recent one is cute because he wrote 21 signs you're a Humble Dollar reader. I'm not going to read all 21, but I love some of them 
are just so like the way I think too because you'll find in all his writing it's about you being careful with the money you spend and the money you invest and let me hit you with some examples rule number one of his that you'll know you are a Jonathan Clements fan is when your neighbors show off their their remodeled kitchen you stare in terror and try to imagine how much it cost because he's all about the dollar you don't consume being a dollar that you have to live on and grow and his second one speaking of ways not to have your money grow the word annuity makes you twitch which is funny because i've always said on our show do not cuss on our show this is a family-oriented show and in my world annuity is a cuss word right the number three and i'm obviously not going to go through all these when friends tell you about the grace great lease terms on their new car you immediately assume they couldn't afford to buy. <laughs> and then this one is so me. You have this nagging feeling you could have got it cheaper elsewhere, whatever it is. And you can see all the 21 things on his website if you subscribe to his newsletter. But I want you to have the tools that if you're motivated that you know how to protect yourself from people that might take advantage of you and you taking advantage of yourself where you're letting bad habits get in the way of developing good habits. Again, Jonathan Clement's website, HumbleDollar.com and go read his section that is divided topic by topic just called guide and it will guide you well to take more control over your wallet and your life explaining things in well as close to simple english as a brit can speak chris is with us on the clark howard show hello chris hey clark how are you today great thank you chris Excellent. Hey, thanks for all that you do, and a pleasure to be on the air with you. And unfortunately, I've got a little bit of a pseudo-investment question for you. I'm ready. All right. So I have a high school senior who's just graduated. Um, We've got him taken care of through college, uh, between 529, athletic scholarship, academic scholarship. He's good for college. We have some money set aside for him in a rainy day cash reserve. But what we're looking to do to add to his graduation gifts for the year is create a long-term savings instrument really meant to get him started on saving for retirement. So as I'm looking at that, should I be looking at um, Roth IRAs? Should I be looking at something in a more simple mutual fund, an index fund, or something like that? What's what's the direction for an 18-year-old if you're wanting to start something to have them focus on retirement and long-term savings? What direction should we go? All right. So first of all, congratulations that you have an 18-year-old who's a twofer on scholarship academic and athletic yes that's very impressive very impressive and what sport did your child get uh athletic scholarship in he is a swimmer oh my brother went to college as a college swimmer 
quadriplegic uh-huh. competitive it's swimmer. A, it's a hard sport. I'll give him that. Yeah, you burn more calories in a uh, practice than any other athletic activity, if I remember right. Uh, yeah, something like that. We won't talk about our grocery bill. <laughs> <laughs> so is your son, with everything else he's already doing, is he working at all? No, he's not. And right, I think so he can't do a Roth right. yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there is a strategy that I have recommended in the past that may or may not work in your life. Okay. All right. So this is really convoluted, but it has worked for many people. You put money in a Roth in your name, or if you're married in your wife's name. Okay. Whatever it is you're putting aside. And then once your son starts working, you've had this money sitting in this Roth. As soon as your son starts working... You can take all the contributions you've made to it, cash them out of the plan tax and penalty free, and then each year he can put up to $5,500 once he's working into a Roth. You, over the years you have money parked there, hopefully will have earnings on the plan. You keep those. Those are your dollars that then in turn grow tax free. But the money you've fully intended to ultimately go to him, you just cash out those contributions, give him that money, he deposits in his own Roth, and you have managed to get tax-free growth on that money over the years to your benefit and ultimately to his. Got it. And if you ask somebody in an investment house that idea, they're going to say, what? What is it you're doing? Don't tell them. That that's your grand scheme. Okay. You just fund a Roth in your name with the money you intend ultimately to go to him. Once he's working in a few years, that's when you cash out contributions only that then go in his own account. Okay. What if my income level is too high to get a Roth? Well, that's a great problem to have. And good for (laughs) you. So you then don't have a lot of easy options so what you could do is uh, you would get favorable tax treatment but not the level of tax treatment you would have in a Roth if what you did instead is you put him in like a broad market index fund and just put the money straight into that with a low-cost provider you'll pay basically nothing for that and the tax that it would throw off each year because it's just invested in an index fund, is almost zero. And then whenever he might need the money years or decades down the road, he would be subject to much more favorable than regular tax, um, capital gains taxation on it. Right, right, okay. So that would be the alternative. Okay, that makes sense. I appreciate the advice as always. Thank you. All right, and great success to him in school. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, John. Good afternoon, Clark. How are you today? Great. Thank you, John. You have your uh, 401k with one of the big banks, which I never like. Well, not exactly. Oh, not exactly? Um, Okay. I recently uh, changed jobs. And with my old employer, I had a simple IRA. Um, 
my new employer offers a 401k and a Roth 401k, and those plans are through one of the big banks. They're constantly in trouble with the news. Um, so I'm. A oh, bit so I mean, about... let's just spill the gut, spill the beans. You were talking about they're constantly in the news and in trouble. It's a Wells Fargo 401k. Let's just call it yes. what it is. Yes, that's okay. correct. <laughs> so the the plan is um, with Wells Fargo. They have both a 401k and a Roth. Now the employer does not offer any sort of match. All right. So don't participate. Don't participate okay. in a bank provided. 401k normally because the fees on bank provided 401ks tend to be uh, much higher than they usually are with the traditional 401k providers like the two bigs Fidelity and Vanguard. Okay, gotcha. So you would be better off moving forward unless you want to contribute more than $5,500 in a year, do your own Roth IRA with one of the low-cost providers rather than participating in the Wells Fargo 401k. Gotcha. At this point, I'm only able to do about $400 a month, so I wouldn't get anywhere near the... That's perfect for you doing an ultra-low-cost Roth IRA. Now, there is always the possibility that the Wells Fargo 401k would surprise me with low-costs, but that would be a huge shock because it seems to be in the DNA of the banks that do 401ks to charge much higher than my threshold, which is no higher than half a percent per year for the cost of the investments and the management administration of the plan all total. Okay. You had mentioned a couple of uh, options there with the Roth. Do they meet that standard for a a low percentage in in management? Yeah. So um, if you look at Vanguard, you look at the Fidelity um, target retirement funds that are the index option, you look at Charles Schwab with some of their their choices, you're going to be really, really, really low, below 0.20. And then you're really in a ultra-low-cost investment option, and that's where you want your investments to be. One of the ways you can really get in trouble when you're typing a web address on your phone where most people access the Internet is where you do what's called fat finger typing, what today is sometimes referred to as typo-squatting. And I need to warn you that this is an area that's leading to a lot of problems for you as a consumer where you might make a one-letter mistake on typing the address of your bank or credit union or whatever it is that you're typing. And with that one-letter mistake, you end up at a site that's being cyber-squatted that looks exactly like the website you were trying to go to. Years ago, there was a website that was misspelling my name by just a touch, and people were going to that thinking they were at my website and then calling to complain about bad advice they were getting from me, and they weren't even at my website. So I need for you to know 
that when you're typing, especially on a phone, because it's much more of a problem than on a laptop, be very aware of what's known as fat finger typing. And if you do mistype, you could end up at the wrong place. So uh, don't be typing on your phone while you're driving. And before you hit enter, look at the address that you have typed in. A lot of times, one of the areas where people are having a lot of problems right now, according to Michelle Singletary, a financial writer for the Washington Post, is when people are putting in .cm, leaving, forgetting or mistyping, not doing .com, and you're ending up at fake websites that do nothing but take advantage of you or load viruses on your phone. I don't know which is worse. Glad to have you along here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. I am a lifelong entrepreneur and I have a son who's cut out of the same cloth. He is completely entrepreneurial and became that way really on his own as a single digit. Now he's 12. He's always looking for new ways to make money. He's just, uh, he's just always coming up with business schemes. Sometimes they're really kooky, and other times they're things that work. And that's typical entrepreneur is that you keep trying things till you hit upon something that works. If you're not willing to fail, you shouldn't be an entrepreneur, period. But in a survey that UPS did, two out of three people, roughly, would love to be entrepreneurs. But one of the reasons that people don't do it is because they're afraid they're going to fail. That's one of the top reasons people give for why they don't proceed. But we have become the most powerful economic engine on earth because people had the guts to get out and try things and make things happen. And that is something that when you see something you think, somebody should be doing this, or these people are missing a real opportunity. When you're seeing the way services are delivered or products are made, and you're like, there should be somebody doing it this way but they're not. So you be the person doing it this way or that way or the other way. You know, a lot of people give the example of a woman named Sarah Blakely, who I think is a billionaire, who came up with this idea for, um, um, what do you call with those? There are things that resize your body, I, I don't even really even know how to describe what Sarah... Shapewear. Shapewear, yeah. thank you. And she went to one bank after another after another with this idea. She had been a, a copier salesman. Remember when people used to use copiers? And she really believed that this stuff that would uh, nip and tuck a woman's body would be huge. But all the bankers she kept going to were a bunch of men who didn't get it but she never allowed 
all the no's and all the people patting her on the head to keep her from doing what she believed. And she made it happen. And with what, if you think about it after the fact, and you see Sarah's original product, it's actually quite basic and not expensive to make, but it really struck a chord in women. It was one of those things, there was a gap in the marketplace, and she ran with it and didn't accept everybody telling her she was an idiot. And that's what it takes to be an entrepreneur. I remember when I was... 24 and I was in preparation to open my first business when I was 25 and I remember people telling me why I was going to fail again and again people just straight out but I mean there's one situation I remember so clearly and that is I was opening a travel agency back then when you had to go to a human to get an actual physical ticket to go on an airplane and travel was just starting to really grow air travel and so I thought it was a potential great business for me which it turned out to be and this guy who was a sales rep for an airline got in my face and told me all the reasons why I was wasting my time and wasting my money and why I was going to fail and that guy was a sales rep for what was then the largest airline in the world, an airline called Eastern Airlines that went extinct in 1990 or 91. And by then I'd built up my business and sold it. I mean, don't let somebody tell you why you're an idiot. Now, that you can always get useful suggestions from people, and those are really valuable. But if you really believe in what you want to accomplish, then you stick with it. But I got step zero and step zero A, I always want you to do before you start a business. And that is, if you're carrying any personal debt, lifestyle debt, Get it paid off before you become an entrepreneur. And step 0.A is that you build up a reserve of money before you start your business. Because when you start your business, it's always going to cost you more and probably take longer to become profitable than you expect. Jared is with us on the Clark Howard Show. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly. And... You want to share your experience buying a car. Was it outstanding or no? It was unique. Ooh, mystery. So I uh, I was in the market for a car, and my bank said, well, well, this is how much of a car we can finance. And I, I found one that I liked. Dealership uh, let me test drive the car. So we're out on the test drive. And it's uh, time to come back around back to the dealership, and a SUV decides to pass me in the passing zone, so I clipped it. It took the left front 
part of the car a little bit, got a bit of damage, and they went for a wild ride. They flipped several times. Oh, no. Were they killed, so, or? No, everyone was okay. They got a little scraped and bruised, and we were just fine. And uh dealership had a, another car come out and pick me and the uh, salesperson up, took us back to the dealership after we, you know, told everything about what happened and made sure the other people were okay, and I get back to the dealership, and they still want to sell me that car. The one that got damaged? <laughs> the, yeah. Oh, that's funny. Now, did the yeah. police write, once they figured out the individuals were okay, they write them a ticket? Uh, the other person got a, uh, yes, got a ticket for, I think, careless driving or something of that nature. Okay. So, <laughs> I, I bet you were not interested in paying for a new car that already had been in a wreck before you even owned it. Yes, and and I think um, they did not even hint at any kind of price reduction. I said, well, if you're not going to be up front, I'm not even going to start to talk to you about repairing the car. But the first words out of their mouth was, if you still want it, we'll fix it. We'll make it just as good as new. And But they never even started to hint at possibly even reducing the price. Because the second that vehicle's been in an accident, you know that that's a mark of shame when you go to sell it and hurts the resale value. Yes. And I guess my question was, is there still a possibility, if they're really willing to sell that car and really willing to fix it, say manufacturer warranty or something, is there a potential great value in buying that car like that? Or did I make the best choice in just walking away? The question would be answered by... Uh, a couple of things for, that I need to find out from you. How long do you tend to keep a car that you buy? I I run it until the wheels fall off. My my last car that was paid off, I kept maybe three years after I was finished paying it off. All right, that would be a check mark for buying that vehicle, because then the whatever hit it having been in this accident would whatever that would do to the resale value becomes not relevant. And then the second question for you, the damage to the vehicle, is it, as best you can tell, cosmetic or is it more serious? Because I know the other vehicle demolished, but the vehicle that you were test, test driving, what, how would it, you characterize the damage to it? it? It was a pretty good hit. Um, oh, then no, it, no, it, don't buy that car. Don't buy that car? Don't buy that car. Okay. Well, I'm glad I made the my the right decision. I'm glad uh, the only crash I've ever been in was with someone else's car. That was kind of a plus too. But um, it, it was definitely uh, the the thought that really came to mind and what made me walk away is they didn't even start to talk about reducing the price. And and I'm thinking, no, I don't want to talk to you guys anymore. Got it. Well, I, the great news, particularly even though they were at fault, it's terrible to think about that experience of flipping over, over, and over again in a vehicle and that they're okay is fantastic. And just treat this as a weird episode in your life and go buy something else. Yeah, I'll do that. I, I've been looking at some other things, some other vehicles, but um, it was definitely a situation that I thought was unique. And That is unique. I mean, it does happen that vehicles are in wrecks on test drives, but your particular circumstance that they still wanted you to buy the vehicle non-plus. That is weird. Amy is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Amy, 
you have a different car buying question for me, don't you? Yes, I do. Thank you for having me on. Certainly. Um, I have a daughter who is 19-year-old. She's a sophomore in college, and she is in desperate need of a car. Um, For the past two years, we have said we are going to help you buy a car, and we have had our own car issues and are not in a position to help her buy a car at this point. Um, we, uh, we had to buy a new car two years ago that we're, you know, we're making payments on. My husband had to buy a new truck, not a new truck, but replace his truck two weeks ago. And we paid for that one outright. Um, but you know, we have a home equity loan that we took out about two, a year and a half ago. And so I just don't think that we can go to our bank and say, Hey, can you give us yet another loan, please? <laughs> and well, so, they very and- well might lend you the money, but the question is if you should anyway, because it sounds yes. like you've got a lot of obligations there. Well, that's our concern, you know, because we've worked really hard to try to uh, get rid of some, some debt, and, and we're getting close. You know, we're paying off some, some bills in the next month that will help our, our credit rating and so forth. But we're wondering, as a 19-year-old, would it make sense or be a bad decision to help her get a small loan for, you know, no more than $5,000? And I'm even thinking more like a $3,000 car um, where we would co-sign on the loan to help her establish some credit. But we would actually probably be making the payments, you know, for her. Mm, not especially <laughs> you're creating complication yeah. i like the idea that you're thinking extreme low cost car because for a 19 oh, yeah. year old the mm-hmm. cost of insurance is hideous right and you want to buy a car that you can just walk away from if it mm-hmm. was totally in an accident where she's only insured for liability okay so i have a big bias in a situation like you described with her having what people used to call a beater car Mm -hmm. just a car that looks awful maybe it's had body damage over the years or whatever but will just get her to and from yes and Mm -hmm. that you you know finding a reliable car as a used car Mm -hmm. the odds go down as you step steadily below ten thousand dollars but it yeah. doesn't mean you can't find a reliable car or one that would be reliable enough for, let's say, 1500 to $2,000. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at vehicles that are older but have shown a good record of reliability, you're going to have mm-hmm. decent odds, of, especially if you have it checked out by a mechanic of your choosing, that you're going to be able to find something that's ugly to look at, but beautiful to your and her wallet. Right. Right. And I think we have found one that, that fits that bill pretty well. So How much is it? It's $2,300. It's that's 19, it. You got yeah, it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a brand that uh, the person who owned it is a mechanic, and so he's taking care of it, which is great. And it's well, not that, beautiful, but yeah. That is exactly the right answer. And then you don't even have to likely fool with the loan, which is the best answer of all. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com. And producer Joel asks it for you. Steve wrote in, Clark, he says, I've got short-term and long-term disability insurance through my employer. However, I also have an accident policy to provide added protection for non-work accidents and injuries. Am I wasting my money on a redundant policy that I don't need? So they're not... 
the same, but I'm, I don't like accident policies. And I'll get to that in a second. Your employer having a short-term disability policy followed by a long-term disability policy is great. They are very, very important because uh, statistics show that we are uh, three times more likely to become disabled than to pass away during our working lifetime. And most people don't have disability coverage. It allows your pay to continue as you're in a short-term disabled situation. If you find yourself in the unfortunate circumstance that you also become long-term disabled, still your family, you yourself are financially secure. Accident policies I despise. I don't like something that's a narrow coverage. I like broad coverage. If it's an accident policy that pays in the event you're hurt or killed, the way you deal with each of those is health insurance in the event that you are hurt and need to have your body repaired, and life insurance in the event that you are killed in an accident and you need to provide for your survivors. But an accident policy that just pays money because you were in an accident seems not efficient to me. All right, Clark Rowe writes in and says, is there a service that manages loans to family, preferably one that reports to credit as well to help establish some credit? If there is a family lending mechanism that reports the credit bureaus, it's possible it's out there, but I've not heard of that. The one that intrigues me is one called loanback.com, L-O-A-N back, B-A-C-K.com, that for 30 bucks takes you a bit out of the process. It helps you prepare a proper loan document with the individual, figure out what interest rate you should charge, not be in trouble with the IRS, takes care of all the stuff, including doing email reminders to the borrower that the payment is due. And that way it's coming from their email service instead of you being in an uncomfortable position with a family member or friend who isn't paying as agreed. And remember, my rule about lending to family or friends, you lend with the idea that you are surprised if they pay back. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that I appreciate so much that you've just tuned into our podcast, that you had faith in the information and advice you get. You want more information from us? One of the best ways to get Clark Smart is with our free newsletters, Clark Daily, Clark Deals, and Travel Escape. Sign up now. You'll be able to unsubscribe at any time if you think I'm wasting your time. Go to clark.com newsletters.